Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. I've watched that video quite a few times as, as I've prepared for today, and it's it's strange how, how anxious it makes me feel. That, that probably is the intent, I, I suppose. But, but it's strange that a video that, that is simply pointing out the obvious, in a lot of ways, just describing our lives, can do that to us. Uh, Americans, on average, pick up our phones 344 times every single day. That, that's about once every, every four minutes. It, this averages out to three hours and 42 minutes spent on our phones, again, every single day. It, it, admittedly, this has become a bit of a passion point for me, so, so I actually have this conversation often with people. And, and what's sort of interesting is, is everyone thinks that they're the exception. And, and the same study actually pointed out that, too, that, that 78% of respondents underestimated how much time they actually spent on, on their phones. As we often put it around here, we, we are capable of endless self-deception. See, you then ask that individual to pull out their phone and, and check for themselves, and, and then the number's actually staring right at them, and, and then come the excuses. Well, oh, my kid was watching a bunch of YouTube videos this week while we waited at the doctor. Or, oh, I, I don't know how that happened. I, I was listening to music on YouTube as I drove to work this week. Or, it was just such a busy week with, with work emails. It, it's interesting that this conversation almost immediately causes people to go on the defensive. Regardless of how gentle or non-confrontational the person initiating the conversation is being, which in and of itself should tip us off. Generally, when we get super defensive, just think about this logically, this isn't a Christian thing, this is just a humanity thing, it serves as like an admission of guilt. My older brother, Trevor, I've shared quite openly about this, that in my young adult life, I had a knack for exaggerating just about everything. And, and I think my older brother, Trevor, had just kind of gotten fed up with it. So he had kind of taken it upon himself, and I would say rightfully so, to begin calling me out for this. And, and every single time that he would kind of lean in and he'd be like, hey, I, I don't think that's totally accurate. He's like, really? That many times? N- never would I actually admit it. I, I'd just dig my heels in even deeper. I'd get more exasperated. I'd get more animated. Like the more defensive we become, the more obvious it becomes that, well, we're in the wrong. It's like ourselves tattling or, or outing ourselves. The, the internal alarm bell is ringing, and rather than listening to it, we, we rationalize it. And, and as adults, we love to think that we've somehow done away with this, that, that this is like the stuff of our youth. But, but come on, we, we've just gotten more clever. Some might call it deceptive in, in our defensiveness. We know better than to, to lose our cool and come unglued. Well, some of us. So we often belittle. We trick the other person into feeling shameful for even having suggested the idea. I digress. As we watch a video like the one we just watched, as we read a post from a friend that tells us how harmful social media actually is, as we grapple with our addictions to our screams, our almost subconscious spending habits, as this information, not really even opinion or or conjecture, is, is presented to us, we're all sort of thinking the same thing, right? That which was supposed to enhance our lives is actually diminishing our lives. 
Like I actually remember very vividly when, when, when someone I knew, this is back in my college days, a buddy of mine named Kyle Jern, he, he got the first iPhone. It's the first time I had ever like laid eyes on one. And, and we all just kind of stood around and, and marveled at it. All of us sort of daydreaming about how much better this thing was going to make our lives, how much more efficient we, we would become. Well, that was like 2007, nearly 16 years ago. And all of this streamlining, faster internet, streaming everything, virtually everything accessible on our mobile devices, it hasn't really served to create more margin in our lives. It seems like actually the opposite is true. I mean, maybe it's just me, but, but I actually feel like I have less margin for what is most important. For, for a lot of us, as that video suggests, we, we would say we feel more empty than, than ever before. Now, now this morning, because again, this is a bit of a passion point for me, I, I could offer us all sorts of life hacks to reclaim your life from technology, idolatry, and, and consumerism. And in fact, if, if you come back next week, we're going to start a series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, and it's going to be all kinds of practical in that regard. I, I could encourage you to put app restrictions on your phone, but predetermine the amount of time that you're going to spend watching TV in a given week. Maybe even delete social media altogether. All potentially good advice. But, but rather than point us to behavior modification, after all, it, it is Easter, I instead thought it would be better, healthier, more appropriate to point us to, to heart transformation. Because let's be honest, this is where true change occurs. If following Jesus is simply presented as an add-on, he, he becomes merely another choice and an otherwise endless buffet of options in the restaurant of life. That's actually why for some of you, and I'm not admonishing you for this, I totally get it, you were very reluctant to, to come and, and watch a service like this because it's your opinion that you've already tried Jesus and, well, it, it didn't work. You followed the, the Jesus rules for a period of time. I mean, come on, you modified your behavior and, and your life didn't seem to get markedly better, so you moved on to the next choice in the buffet line. But, but what I would suggest is, that while you perhaps tried on a version of Jesus living, you missed out on the best part. You missed out on the richness, the peace, the, the joy, the contentment that comes from a true relationship with Jesus. More and more in this faith community, we're seeing people get involved with, with foster care and, and adoption. And it gets me really, really excited, actually, as obviously my wife and I, we, we are foster parents and soon-to-be adoptive parents as, as well. And let's just say God spoke to you in that way and you felt like, oh my goodness, I think this is a door that, that, that me and my spouse are, are supposed to walk through. And so you start reading all the books, you meet with the agency, you go to the classes, you get approved, you meet with other foster parents and ask questions, you talk with your spouse almost endlessly about what it's going to be like. You even go over to friends' houses and, and watch their kids so that you're properly prepped. But, but every time you get the call to actually bring a child into your home, you say, ah, not yet. We're just not ready. Now, it's not like all the preparation is wrong. Shoot, in a lot of ways, it's probably been a good thing. But once you actually have that child in your home, it changes everything. Once you actually step into relationship with Jesus, that is, you put your guard down, you give him access to everything, it will changes everything. Because no longer is, is he merely a behavior modifier. I mean, that gets old really quick, right? He, he's like a nagging parent. 
No, no, instead he's a heart transformer. Healed behavior is birthed out of a healed heart. Anyway, kind of getting ahead of myself. We could look at, at our present cultural moment and easily come to the conclusion that, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That would be the negative, the cynical, the, the death hasn't already been defeated way of looking things. Or we could view it through a different lens, that, that the world is, is ripe for, for the picking. And, and I actually believe this. Going back to where we started here today, I, I think a lot of us are sensing actually the exact same thing. That, that all of this stuff that, that was supposed to improve our lives and make our lives better is, is falling woefully short. And it's left a lot of people desperately looking for answers. I've said it many, many times over these last two years in particular. I am seeing a genuine interest in Jesus that I have never witnessed during my time on this earth. See, we're looking for hope in the midst of, of the hopelessness. But, but what if that hope isn't something, but as I just mentioned, a, a someone? C.S. Lewis, he, he puts it this way and, and sort of reminds us actually that this is far from a new dilemma for humanity. He, he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that, that I was made for another world. That is, what, what if that longing for something deeper, that, that desire for true meaning what was actually placed inside of you on, on purpose? With an incredible level of intentionality, what if your creator placed that inside of you so you intuitively go searching for him? What if God wants to be found? So much so that he entered creation in the form of a man, Jesus, God in a, in a bod. In fact, it would be Jesus himself who would tell us, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is Jesus in incredibly direct terms telling us, hey, you want to know what God is like? Look at me. There's a lesson right, right there, by the way, that that alone is, I think, worth you tuning in here today. For, for so many of you, you have a version of God floating around in your head that, that's all judgment, that, that's all contempt. Shoot, it's hard for you to think of God without feeling of emotions of, of shame and guilt and, and embarrassment. That, that's not God. That is not who he is. You want to know how, how I'm certain of that? Because the gospel accounts, those biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, they give us a really good picture of Jesus. And you don't find even a hint of this in Jesus's life. And again, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is the perfect expression of the Father. Back to that question, what if God wants to be found? It's Pascal who's credited with saying that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but, but only by God the Creator, made known through, through Jesus Christ. We as human beings endlessly attempt to fill this void with created things, technology, cars, larger homes, our career, kids, endless entertainment, relationship, and it all falls woefully short because that void has a very clear non-substitutionary purpose. Again, what if it is your creator who placed that void, that vacuum inside of you so that you would intuitively go searching for him? What if he wants to, to be found? Well, some 2,000 years ago, God would show us just how much he longs to be found by, by you. But when the right time finally came, God sent his, his own son. 
He, he came as the son of a human mother and lived under the Jewish law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might become God's children. To, to show that you were his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Father, my father. So, so then you're no longer a slave, but, but a child. And, and since you are his child, God will give you all that he has for his children. And I want you this morning to really consider the extent of this love. Despite the fact that that we are the ones who screwed up, we're the ones who fractured our relationship with the living God. We disobeyed, we rebelled, we started attempting to fill that void with such unworthy substitutes. In the midst of our rebellion, God comes sprinting to our rescue while we were still sinners. Not once we got our acts together, rather in the midst of our defiance. And rather than leaving us to wallow around in the mess that we created for ourselves, he instead sends his one and only son to actually pay the penalty for our rebellion, for for our sin. Christ's substitutionary death paves a way back into relationship with him. That that is how desperately God wants to be found. That that is how desperately he wants you to to, to have a relationship with with you. He, He would have sent his son if it was just you. And it's in relationship with him, which, which Jesus paved the way for, that we find true joy, true peace, true contentment. There's this really tender moment recorded for us in, in John's gospel account where Jesus has just wrapped up teaching some, some rather hard truths. The, the kind of stuff that separates the true followers from those who are just kind of hanging around to see the show. And after a bunch of people, like a whole crowd of people are like, yeah, this, this was fun while it lasted, but, but we out. Jesus turns his attention to his disciples, to his closest friends, and he very plainly asks them, are, are you also going to leave? And, and one of his closest friends immediately replies, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We, we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. He's like, I've lived that life apart from you, and it was so unfulfilling, so empty. I've tried filling that God-shaped void with all of that other stuff, and it always comes up short. But now, as the psalmist so eloquently puts it, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. The joy, the contentment, the peace that that we've all been searching for, that our souls have been yearning for is available, waiting for you in the midst of relationship with the living God. That the living God that so desperately wants to be found that he would freely, lovingly offer up his one and only son. And I get it. It's hard for us to get our heads around the simplicity of the gospel. That the most high God would make the standard so simple that the way that you would be declared righteous, the way you would get that right standing back with God, it has nothing to do with when anything you've ever done, with, with you getting your act together. It has everything to do with faith, belief, trust, synonymous terms. Like, have you put your faith in Jesus? And we're told over and over and over through the gospel accounts from the very lips of Jesus that, that just like that, by placing our trust in him, just like that, we are restored, we are redeemed, we get that right standing back. And so right now, I want to give us that opportunity. I also want to make clear that, that it's, again, not a prayer that, that gets you the standing back. Again, it, it has everything to do with belief. Have you put your faith in Jesus? But, but it could be as simple as you praying right now, Heavenly Father, I, I know that I am a sinner. 
I know that, that I can't get it together on my own, but I believe in your son. I believe that he came and, and he lived the, the perfect life that I was meant to live. And after living that perfect life, he, he, he took the weight of my sin and, and the wrath of, of you, the wrath of God on his shoulders so, so that I wouldn't have to. But, but three days later, I believe, and this is what we celebrate on Easter, I believe that he rose from the grave and, and thus he conquered my sin problem. He conquered death. Christ, forgive me. I, I, I choose to put my trust in you from this day forward. And t- today, on Easter here of 2023, it will mark a clear, defining moment in my life where, where I choose to live for you from this point forward. It's in your precious, saving name that we pray. Amen. What if Jesus, unlike all of the, the cheap substitutes that we experience in this life, actually can live up to and, and actually supersede the, the hype? What if the hope we're all looking for isn't found in something but someone? Jesus, during his time on earth, he, he described living with him as, as easy. And, and not because our lives would then be all sunshine and roses. In fact, any of you who have followed Jesus for more than like 15 minutes, you know that's not the case. But, but because we hitch our lives to the one who conquered death, that the one who would leave the tomb empty. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. A a yoke would typically have place for for two oxen and and they would then pull the load together. And if one ox was stronger, the weaker ox would benefit from the strength of of the other. And when two oxen were working together and one's pulling significantly more weight than the other, You never hear the one ox berating the other ox like, come on, man, get it together, try harder, I'm doing all the heavy lifting. So it is with Jesus. The load doesn't seem that heavy because Jesus is pulling so much of the weight. It kind of feels like you're just taking a walk. Come on, isn't that exactly what you were hoping to find in a place like this? Isn't this not just what you want, but but who you need? This is precisely who Jesus offers himself to be to you in the joy of relationship with him.